Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 96, recorded on February 12th of 2020, uh, the Photo Geek Read podcast, where we just take some news stories from the rundown of what's happening, what's released, what's controversial sometimes, uh, and uh, dig into it as much as we can. It's always me, your main host, Don Komarechka, with a guest, and this week I have the uh, salmon blotchy patched skin friend of mine, uh, Jordan Drake. <laughs> how you doing, Jordan? I'm not sure how I like that byline. But uh, good to good to be back. You you know what you what I'm referring to. I do, do absolutely. Know? Yeah, I put it in the video, so uh, I do have to take responsibility for that. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm referring to the DP Review TV video where uh, Jordan takes a look at raw video recording on Nikon uh, mirrorless camera bodies. And uh, it's a wonderful feature that uh, I'm still waiting for for my S1H. Uh, but it uh, it takes a little bit of finagling to get those lookup tables correct, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're, well, first of all, there are no lookup tables for it yet. Uh, and YouTube compression also destroyed the gradients in that video as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve for sure. It is very different from working with Red Raw or Black Rat Magic Raw that I've worked with before. But uh, yeah, I have some thoughts on it for sure. Well, and it was interesting how it uh, how it was uh, notably softer. It's not like this is a step up in every way. Uh, the critical sharpness of not shooting raw can actually be an advantage because of the way that it's sampling information, right? Yeah, um, it's really kind of a trade-off with it, which a lot of your video modes tend to be, you know, shooting log versus a standard profile as compromises. And same thing when we're shooting this versus internal recording or uh, doing its end log recording. Um, yeah, it's not good in low light. The image is noticeably softer. And uh, if you do have a lot of fine detail in it, you will get moiré, which is annoying. But the big one is the false color. Uh, you can actually see it in my eyes once in oh, a while. Oh, I saw like your flash. catch light. It was yeah. flashing green. Yeah, and that was green and red annoying. on and off. Yeah, and it's it's that that's really, you know, I can fix a lot of stuff in post. Moiré is difficult, but there are some plugins. But there is nothing for eyes rapidly changing colors. Uh, now, it's hopefully going to get better. <laughs> but it's just really a limitation to how they chose to read that sensor out their line skipping. And uh, that's going to lead to a lot of false information. Do you know if, uh, if the S1H is going to do something similar? I mean, it's, it's been pretty quiet on, on that front. So I'm hearing 5.9 K raw on it quite a bit, which uh, if they do that, that means it's reading that, out every pixel. Sensor, yeah. yeah. So our low light performance will be worse because you can't apply noise reduction to a raw uh, video feed. But um, in other regards, we should get the same level of detail, not that uh, moiré, not the false color issues with it. Of course, the trade-off is going to be much bigger files. Well, I think that's a trade-off that we're kind of used to when we're shooting uh, with you know high-resolution video. I've got 128 and 256 gig memory cards, and that's just becoming more and more commonplace. Uh, especially if you're recording to an external device, I've got you know a terabyte uh, SSD that plugs into my Ninja V. Uh, which, if I'm filling that up in a shoot, well, I mean, good for me. I'm getting a lot of good stuff, but it's going to take a lot to. To, to fill up a terabyte worth of information totally. uh, before I have to offload it. Well, and ProRes RAW is shockingly efficient. Uh, you know, we're writing at, uh, I was averaging 650 megabits per second with it, which is compared to some of the other RAW cameras that I've used, where you're looking at, you know, a terabyte getting you about 15 minutes runtime. This is very manageable. Right. So, hey, uh, you were in Costa Rica recently, were you not? I was, uh, a whopping two days, which is the exact <laughs> right amount of time to experience a place, people, and the culture. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you weren't there for that, unfortunately. You were there uh, in a wonderful uh, backdrop to test a new camera that was just announced, I believe, at midnight last night as we're recording this, uh, the Olympus OMD EM1 Mark III. Now, we <laughs> knew this was coming. Uh, the, the rumor mill was kind of building up to this announcement. Uh, and uh, it's not in our story rundown, but I want to ask you about that, because what, what did you find uh, useful and helpful about this camera, especially compared to... Uh, the the competition but like the uh, the mark ii which it seems like it's kind of the same in a lot of different ways yeah i mean most of the upgrades are processed they added a joystick which is great uh but for me shooting the video on that episode there was not much that was a huge update i still think they have the best stabilizer by far in the world and that allows you to do some pretty amazing stuff with it well um, they've brought in the uh the handheld high res mode from yes. the uh the um em1x now into this smaller body which is uh i more cameras that have that feature i'm happy because a lot of the stuff that i shoot is handheld um uh, but i'd go for doubling my resolution plus a bit extra if i have it i mean why not yeah, I love that Olympus, we've always talked about what's going to happen when this the camera manufacturers start using some of those computational photography things. And we're finally starting to see it happen. Fuji has a nice handheld HDR mode. And then this, the handheld high-res works great. It actually uses your hand's natural movement instead of fighting it. Uh, so that slight shift, uh, which is something you can absolutely do in post and just realign the images. But to have it do it in real time in the camera, and especially to save a single RAW file for you is really cool um same kind of idea with the live nd you could do that exact same thing stick it on a tripod stack a whole bunch of images and you can fake an nd look but here it's both doing it in real time and it's previewing what that effect is going to look like uh, which is really wonderful so i love that kind of technology it really kind of upends the limitations of that smaller micro four-third sensor you know and they, they put in the uh, the starry night autofocus uh, system in there so uh, or uh, starry sky so that you can uh, and this is a, a big issue that i uh, that i've talked to a lot of people about when they're going to shoot auroras uh, or just you know milky way shots how do you focus on the dimness of the night sky when autofocus usually doesn't help you and you could shine a bright flashlight at a distant tree you might be able to find one really bright star um, in the frame and focus on that but that's not universal sony has famously not been able to do that uh, yep. adequately um and to now have the camera realize that that's what you're trying to do and yeah it might take it a few seconds but uh, your camera's on a tripod you're waiting you it would take you longer to do it anyhow uh to, to get that properly set it's nice to see that kind of innovation but it's also um uh, kind of, I'd scratch my head to think that they still have that two point something million uh, EVF in this one. I mean, we have EVFs that are pushing six million at this point, maybe even beyond. I haven't looked at all the specs for all the latest cameras, but um, I remember, especially when I was looking through um, the GX9 as a primary shooting camera, I, I could deal with the electronic viewfinder there. It, it wasn't uh, a deal breaker, but it wasn't better than an optical viewfinder. Yeah. And I think the barrier to entry is that now uh, a 6 million dot uh, EVF is still going to lag a little bit in low light. It's not going to be perfect in all scenarios, but weighing the benefits versus the detriments to it, it's now better than an optical viewfinder yeah. when it's done right. Yeah. 
I don't think they're doing it right here. No. And I don't know why. Well, and you mentioned the starry sky thing, actually trying to see if it worked through the electronic viewfinder. You're just trusting it. You know, it's saying locked on, it's okay. And until you take that picture and zoom in on the also not very good LCD on the back of the camera, uh, well, you're, you're just you not ever- confident. Have you ever had an autofocus say something was in focus and it wasn't? This has never happened to me before. Yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> and, and this is new technology that I'm out there to test. So it's like, did it focus on the star? We have no idea till we're back in our, honestly, back in our rooms looking at the files at the end well, of the day. It and, just, and I, I can tell that that happened in another occasion because when you were on camera and you were talking about the video features and talking about how good the autofocus and the face detection is, you you were out of focus, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the plants <laughs> in the back were. We, a lot of people are saying, yeah, the camera autofocus sucks. That was manually focused. Um, I'm not going to name names as to who is responsible for focusing that shot, but there's only two of us on the team, so you can probably <laughs> piece it together. <laughs> All right, uh, but your your thoughts in general, uh, the the camera, and especially being able to test it in a real world scenario, is Olympus backing the right horse sticking with micro four thirds especially since we haven't seen a move from 20 megapixels in quite some time well i think honestly full frame is so competitive at this point it's going to be really tough for i mean even the big guys like canon nikon and panasonic are all having a tough time breaking through um so i think that's super competitive where if olympus is the last company really focusing on micro four thirds i do think they have a real leg up. I mean, walking around with a, you know, 300 millimeter F4 that's equivalent to a 600 F8, you know, yeah. it's not super bright, but damn, is that nice when you want to go shoot birds and you've just got a small package over your shoulder. And that advantage isn't going to go away, but it it's a flagship product. I need it to feel contemporary and cutting edge. And yeah, so things like the EVF, having a slow second card slot, things like that just felt like budget cuts. And that's not going to inspire confidence in micro four thirds. Yeah. I mean, what would it have cost them to have uh, an extra full speed card slot? Like in terms of just the raw dollars in the production, probably not a whole lot. 10 bucks maybe. Yeah. I mean, if they updated all those panels, the initial one shipped at 2000 US dollars. This one's coming in at 1800. Release it at the same price as the last version and update those panels and the card slots, uh, you know, make it feel like something that came out four years later. Right. Uh, well, at least it is a step up and it's not like they're spinning their wheels. I- I'm really happy to see some of the innovation that they came out with with the um, uh, uh, EM1X that's now kind of distilled into this camera. Um, but they have to, I think, keep innovating in software with the EM1X and give it some extra bells and whistles now because uh, currently, I don't really see much of a reason to go there. No, I don't see one at all. Uh, and they've said that there were going to be other modes coming to their AI training. Uh, their, well, their AI, their machine learning autofocus. And we haven't seen anything yet. So I hope they can add some real benefits to that. But I do have to say, you know, like there were certainly some disappointments and things like that. But while we were out there shooting, uh, I said to Chris repeatedly, if I were going and photos were my primary reason for traveling, uh, this would be right near the top of cameras that I would bring. I loved just shooting like handheld landscapes with the ND filter, oh, yeah. the handheld high res. Uh, it's a wonderful little travel kit. I just wish it felt more like, honestly, my GH5, which is now almost four years old as well, but has better panels, SD card slots, LCD. Everything feels more current. 
Well, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges for camera companies to maintain um, the, the currency of their products, especially when the time it takes to develop that next flagship sensor, that next flagship um, processor, uh, it that that turnaround time is getting longer in some cases. I mean, you said the GH5 is going on four years. It hasn't been replaced yet. Yeah, there's the GH5S, but there's no GH6 yet. Uh, and I'm sure that they're waiting to make sure that it's as fantastic as it could possibly be. But at the same time, um, this would be the reason why people might jump ship from one brand to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to go into our, our first uh, formal story in this rundown here, which kind of ties into all this. Uh, <clears throat> reported by, of course, DP Review. Back to the... Yes, fantastic. Uh, It is my morning read every morning. Uh, Back to the drawing board in quotes. Sigma says that the full frame Foveon camera won't arrive this year. And this is somewhat concerning because it was actually, on paper anyhow, uh, a really nice idea. For those that aren't familiar with the the Foveon sensors, they don't have a color filter array, uh, either Bayer pattern or X-Trans. The pixels aren't laid out next to each other. They're laid out on top of each other. So uh, for every photo site on a regular camera sensor, it only picks up red, green, or blue. But on a Sigma Foveon sensor, it picks up red, green, and blue in exactly the same space. And there's a lot of benefits for that, including removing moiré, color accuracy, um, and sometimes potentially even dynamic range. But uh, the the idea was that when the L-Mount Alliance was launched, um, and that was uh, Sigma, uh, Panasonic, and Leica all together using the same camera mount, that uh, Sigma would be producing lenses and camera bodies. And we've seen the Sigma FP, which I think is one of their first, if not their only camera, to use a standard Bayer pattern color filter array and not their Foveon sensors. Yep. So... Um, I'm going to read quickly here, and I really want your opinion on this, but um, basically it says, as a result of careful and rigorous testing based on the latest development information, however, it has become clear that the launch of such a camera would be infeasible within this year. Uh, Still at this point, we cannot say for certain when the full-frame Foveon X3 sensor will be put into mass production. In light of current development progress, we are not in a position to offer any specific release plan at present, and that makes me sad. What about you? Yeah, hugely. Uh, I thought this made a lot of sense. Um, That would really kind of fill... Uh, Sigma's niche in this because the FP is interesting, but it's a weird camera. It's primarily a video camera in an odd form factor where I loved the images out of Foveon cameras at base ISO. They were some of the nicest landscape cameras I've ever used. Not uh, very high resolution, mind you, but they had smaller <laughs> sensors. And uh, and because of that, they uh, they did some stupid marketing stuff. They called it yeah. like instead of megapixels, mega rays and stuff like that, which yes. was just nonsense. Um, so shame on you for that. Just embrace your product for what it is, uh, and uh, and the, the proof is in the images that it creates. Um, but the problem with this, then, Jordan, for me, is if they're delaying this, not in 2020, maybe not even in 2021, they're saying this is kind of an indefinite delay, by the time it actually comes to market, this is the problem. Will anybody care? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, 
I was really excited for this because if you were an L-mount user who already had quite a few lenses lined up, the big barrier to entry with all of Sigma's cameras has been that they're either fixed lens or they use their proprietary bayonet, uh, which no one has ever... Has, have you ever seen a Sigma mount lens in the wild ever? I've never seen one. <laughs> and if you haven't, like no ordinary human is ever going to see one. I've uh, seen so, one at a trade show once. That's about it. But if you were, uh, I especially was hoping it would be a lower priced one. If people wanted to experience with the Foveon and, you know, know it's optimized for low ISO shooting, but the color and, uh, like you said, the lack of moiré is brilliant on those cameras, it would be a great way for you to step in and see if that interests you. But yeah, again, a two-year difference on it, and I'm assuming that it was technology that would have been current today that they're working on if this is an extremely low resolution body and we're now pushing sony with 60 megapixel full frame sensors and rumors are canon's going higher i don't know if it's going to find a market well especially when sony has their what was it at like a 16 shot high res mode where it's kind of doing the effect of a foveon collecting rgb values for every pixel plus the pixel shift to quadruple the resolution um they've never specifically said that that's what they're doing but i'm just assuming you're taking that's exactly what they're doing yes um so uh in that regard uh for anybody that was interested in landscape photography or any still life or something that's just not moving to get foveon quality results you can get that from other camera manufacturers now it's said that they they can't put this into mass production that doesn't mean that they can't make it so it maybe it just means that the production difficulties of getting this to be cost effective or maybe that there's issues with every sensor uh or with too many of them that they uh, you know if, if they uh bin it properly then just about every camera would have like a burned out pixel here or there that they'd have to deal with in post and maybe that's not acceptable um i don't know i just don't know what the issue is but when it does come out, if it ever does, it needs to be reinvented starting right now yeah. to be technology that just scrap whatever you have. Because if you have to spend another year working on the same thing, it's not going to matter to anybody by the time it's released. Well, and I was, I've was i gone on record, I'm not a huge fan of the FP body. So if this buys them some time to really put out a nice ergonomic package for it as well, maybe that's time well spent. Yeah, uh, I mean, I as a, a Panasonic shooter with my uh, uh, S1 series camera bodies, or if you've got a, if a Leica SL or uh, anything else, even the, the CLs would use the same Leica L mount. Yep. Um, yeah, you've got lenses, you've got glass that you could easily adapt and put onto this body, even if you just wanted to rent one and play with it. Previously, you couldn't do that because you'd have to have those. I, I don't want to say that they're bad lenses, but they're oh. useless because of the mount that Sigma used to have. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a shame. I'm hoping that this comes back because I still look at some of the prints that we pulled off the old Sigma Quattros and DP cameras, and they're beautiful. Uh, they're stunning images. So let's bring it back. All right, let's uh, you know hope for the best, guys, and uh, move on to our next story. Which you know we're talking about innovation and pushing forward. Uh, Fujifilm uh, uh, has their X100V initial review, also on DP review, um, and now this is a bold statement. The most capable fixed lens compact camera ever, which is, I mean, th- that those are fighting words right there because uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of people that might debate that. Um, it so, sounds like you're one of them, Don. <laughs> no, well, no, I mean, it does look incredibly capable, but I just know that a statement like that is very hard to make with yes. 
you know, concrete accuracy. So just uh, a quick rundown of this new camera from Fuji that they've recently announced. Uh, 26 megapixels uh, uh, X-Trans sensor, built-in four-stop ND filter, um, uh, tilting touchscreen on the back, uh, an updated uh, 3.7 million dot OLEV uh, electronic viewfinder. So they're beating Olympus there, at least in that regard. Uh, 4K 30p uh, recording with F-Log built into this, a 2.5 millimeter mic port. So this is shaping up to be a fairly capable video camera as well. Uh, only a single SD card slot, get over it. Um, and, <laughs> and a price point of uh, 1800 Canadian. So have you had your hands on this camera yet or is it still something that uh, you're going to uh, be uh, waiting on? Uh, no, we've got a full review. Well, uh, we still say a review in progress because it wasn't final, but it's basically final. Uh, I actually just had to pack it up and ship it back right before we started this call. And I, I shed a single like a Ben Affleck tier, that one tier <laughs> that he does at the end of movies, because uh, I loved this camera. Uh, it is some of the most fun I've had in quite a while. Um, yeah, I just think it's a very well thought out, uh, kind of a complete package. We've been waiting for a long time on the X100s. It always feels like there's a few things that are kind of bothersome and annoying with them where this one it's all very well fleshed out the tilt screen alone makes a huge difference for a street style camera uh and as somebody who's taking a lot of family pictures with a five-year-old kid uh, it's also awesome for that Uh, on the sample gallery you can see i did a few shots with strobes with this because it has a leaf shutter lens on it and Mm -hmm. a built-in four-stop nd filter so you can get a very unique totally kill the sun in an exterior uh shot kind of look to it that's a lot of fun if you have some external strobes um but uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to use. It's a really well thought out spec list. You might debate the Leica Q2 is uh, a little bit more capable because that has a full frame sensor and a stabilizer in it. But I enjoyed using the Fuji a little bit more. Well, and uh, I mean, Sony has their uh, full frame compact as well. The R1R Mark II, I think they're up to. Mm-hmm. But at, at a significantly higher price point as well, both, both that and the Q2. Um, uh, so, I mean, you're definitely getting good value uh, for this. And one could argue that you don't need more than 26 megapixels. The other cameras will offer you more. And yes, I'm shooting with cameras and I love having that for a big studio camera, but I don't necessarily need that for, you know, chasing around my, my three-year-old daughter. I, yeah. I, I don't need that for my travel images. More is nicer, but um, if I'm if I'm trading that for a bigger, beefier camera, then the fact that it is just a compact fixed lens, it's kind of a moot point because if it's as big as my regular full frame camera uh, with a pancake lens on it, then I'm not really saving too much in that process. And just buy an X-T3 if that's the case. Uh, you know, the right. size is a huge part of this. The other thing that's really great is it's finally weather sealed, uh, which only this and the Leica Q have in common right now as well. So if you are planning to just go shoot out, you know, I love shooting street in the rain. I think it's the best time to be outdoors when you got reflective streets. This is one of the best cameras in the world for that right now. Is it? I don't know of any other cameras in its class that actually have a microphone port on it. Am I correct in saying that this is kind of a first? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And uh, you can also use the USB-C port as a headphone line. So now you've oh, got cool. mic input, uh, yeah, headphone line, shoots F-Log. I shot an episode of our show on a X100 series camera, which I never thought I would say. And even weirder is that I actually didn't mind it at all. The ergonomics worked totally fine for it. Um, and yeah, you can see the footage is beautiful. I always love Fuji's video capture, a profile, which is in there. Um 
except that this camera has a four-stop ND filter that you can't use in video, which I think is oh, just no? just to irritate me. Is the only I- <laughs> they couldn't give me. I called Fuji. I'm like, they're like, yeah, it doesn't. Uh, we don't know why either. So. I hope that's a weird firmware hiccup or something like that. But I went back and tested an old X100F and it can't do it either. So who knows what's <sighs> going on there? I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I would like to have a built-in ND filter yeah. so that you could be shooting with, it's an F2 lens, right? So yeah. you, if you want to be shooting wide open uh, at uh, 24 frames per second without having jittery spaces between things, um, you need to put an ND filter in front of the lens. That does I can't tell from the, the picture, does it have filter threads? I you have to actually plug an adapter in um, oh, okay. and then thread one on. So yeah, I, I screwed a four-stop ND filter on because that's what I had <laughs> when there was one sitting right behind the lens ready to be used. Uh, it's also an interesting camera because you need to use that adapter and a filter in the front to make it totally weather sealed because uh, the motor that moves the lens back and forth uh, is not sealed at all. So uh, well, if you're this like, is shooting the same... up into the sky, you know, you'll run into issues. Well, uh, th- this is the uh, the same scenario with most weather sealed lenses. They are not weather sealed unless you put a filter thread on the front of them. So, yep. uh, in this scenario, yeah, you need an adapter to do it. I'll I'll give it to them. You're weather sealed enough for the most case, uh, or for most cases. So, is this if you were the owner of an X one hundred four, maybe even an X one hundred three, is it worth spending almost two thousand dollars Canadian to upgrade? I, I mean, it's a it really depends on your shooting style. For me, yeah. um, having that tilt screen, and especially because I shoot video professionally, <laughs> having <laughs> a super capable compact video camera with full manual controls is awesome. There's not really much like it. So in that case, absolutely. If you're not somebody who's pushing the autofocus really hard or you're shooting eye level through the optical viewfinder all the time. Yeah, how was the optical not. viewfinder? Were there any uh, any fun bits in there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really cool. You've got a little picture-in-picture display. You can have magnified where your focus point is or your entire composition if you want to preview exposure. Uh, it works great. It's a lot of fun. It is still one of those things where, yeah, I have fun shooting with it if it's not something serious. As soon as it's like, I got to get the shot, click, it switches over to an electronic viewfinder because that's honestly a better way to shoot a lot of the time. So yeah. it's fun to shoot with the OVF, but on the old cameras, there were practical advantages to it. With the new EVF, there really isn't. Right. They've gotten so good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a camera like this would make for a great street photography camera, which is what leads us to our next story. <sighs> Are you ready for this one, Jordan? All right. Send the hate. <laughs> so uh, this has been widely reported um, that Fujifilm pulls controversial X100V promo video due to the featured photographer's method. And so I'm just looking at this on uh, DP review right now. This has 1,211 comments. There are very, very few stories, including camera launches, that get into the quadruple digits here. So this struck a nerve. Um, The photographer in question, uh, uh, Tetsuo Suzuki, um, is featured in the video. And he's, at least at the time the video was recorded, was an ambassador for Fuji, which is why they decided to feature him. Um, And he's shooting street photography. We'll discuss his style in a minute. Um, Fuji apparently loved it. Uh, I'm sure uh, it marketing costs money people, to make videos. Yeah, I, I'm sure marketing people and executives watched it and okayed it and made it a part of this big launch. Um, and then what happened? 
the internet got mad, and then <laughs> Fuji backpedaled really quickly and really hard. Uh, so, yeah, that video is... I um, I saw the announcement, I saw a few of the comments, and I was like, oh, I know what's going on here. Um, and then when I was coming on the show, I was like, oh, I should watch that video. I knew the original video was pulled. Also, the Fuji Rumors reposting of the video is pulled, and it looks like I'm going to have to go to the dark web to actually see. <laughs> so I need, I need you to paint me a an auditory picture here, Don. If you Let could imagine a, uh, a, a timid, uh, a, a timid looking uh, photographer with a camera nimbly, uh, nimbly walking amongst people on the street, almost like a butterfly floating through them. I mean, kind of going in front of people, but not obstructing them. Really. It's a really quick transition and moving the camera up and around and taking photos without making any, um, uh, oblique gestures or not using flash or anything that would be terribly disruptive. Um, but, it's the style of using, especially if he if he was using the X one hundred V. It's I believe a twenty three millimeter lens, yeah, so it's relatively equivalent. Yeah, yeah. So it it's relatively wide. Uh, you can't be across the street. You have to kind of be in a in a personal space. Although I don't even really want to call it a personal space because you're just crowds of people walking down the street. He's no closer yes. to any of those people than any of the other people that are just walking in the same direction. He's just walking in the opposite direction, weaving his way through. Um, and uh, the internet got mad yep. because uh, how dare he uh, get in front of people without their permission and take their picture? And how dare he take hundreds of images to find one that actually works? Because that's not what a photographer should do. Everything should be calculated like uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson's The Decisive Moment, right. um, which, by the way, if you I'm sure if you looked at his contact sheets, there's a lot of. <laughs> garbage within there too that we just don't see and we herald him as a legend uh of of that genre of photography so you know you can uh you can parallel this to other uh photographers i don't really want to name names specifically but there are other uh street photographers out there that are um of i don't know how i would describe it like almost flamboyantly distractive yes. uh, in front of people. Like they're, they're making a scene in order for people to look at them and to be distracted, disoriented. Uh, and that's how they make their work. Uh, uh, Tetsuo Suzuki does not do that at all from the footage that I could see. And some of his images were pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to get inside the headspace as to number one, why people are so angry because street photography is not about asking permission. Uh, and number two, why Fuji backpedaled so fast hmm. and uh, without making a statement at all, they just pulled him off the ambassador page, pulled down the video. It's like, nope, we've, we, we never knew this guy. Um, when they could have been a rallying cry behind him. Yes. And that would have actually supported their brand instead of appearing uh, cowardly. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, it just it really screams of yeah, giving social media way too much power. You know, how many of those people in that thousand comment thread were different, and how many were you know five people reiterating the same point angrily over and over and things like that. Uh, I do think there is a pushback against some more obtrusive street photography, like you mentioned. I know. I've seen lots of shots where people are just blasting an on-camera strobe right into people's face while they're doing that. Uh, and there's some pretty famous examples of that, as you mentioned. Um, 
the only concern I have, I mean, I feel like photographers absolutely have a right, and I don't like what Fuji's done with there. We have to be a little bit hypersensitive right now uh, because, you know, every other day we are getting another article about the creepy photographer for, you know, people, oh, yeah. you know, see vi- that's how they picture photographers. A lot of the time is based on paparazzi culture, uh, which is how some of those street photographers work. Um, you know, when we're shooting street, if a person's face is the, the expression of their face is the focal point, you know, at the very least, Chris will have uh, ask for permission. Generally, they have a short conversation. There's an exchange before that takes place. But there's some types of images where that's not going to be possible. And I, you know, based on the images I saw in the, the gallery, um, you know, I don't think this is an example of that shock the person and snap the picture style of photography. So I'm, yeah, I'm very surprised Fuji wouldn't back photographers when they're really their company um, image is one that really supports, especially street photographers that built rebuilt their brand basically. Uh, so I was surprised to see this and I'm pretty disappointed. Yeah. And it, it kind of reminds me of something unrelated. I don't have the story up in front of me right now, but uh, Hallmark had put out an ad um, that featured a uh, same sex marriage and mm-hmm. there was a, um, a group called 1 million moms that threw a fit uh, and uh, got Hallmark to retract the video. And that actually caused a far bigger public backlash Yes, uh, because no, if you're going to put it out there, stand behind it, you've, you've made the decision to do that. Uh, And, uh, and so I think Fuji is kind of in that same boat right now. And I mean, I, I, I think that this actually plays very favorably uh, into uh, Mr. Suzuki's work because he's been in the spotlight here. People on either side, but people know about him now. And people that respect street photography are probably going to remember his name uh, more so because of all of this um, than uh, than if it was just a promo video and he just kind of had that splash in the pan of uh, of additional publicity as a result of that. And the people that don't like street photography, they, they weren't going to like it anyhow. Yes, yeah. you can go and... and um, complain on the internet. That's what the internet is for, after all. Yeah, I mean, if I were him, I would be booking a gallery and getting a photo book printed in the next week, because, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is definitely his moment. Exactly. And uh, unfortunately, though, that a lot of his uh, work is uh, shot with Fuji. Uh, I would em- embrace him to switch brands at this point and see if <laughs> anybody else out there, uh, say Olympus with their OMD EM1 Mark III, would want to have a nice, uh, uh, well-acclaimed uh, and well-talked-about street photographer immediately show up on their ambassador brand page. Yeah. I think that might be a smart move. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think we can really talk too much more on that if you want uh read the comments there's some vitriol in there there's a lot of people for and against there's a lot of people that just don't understand but they've got an opinion anyhow uh as the this internet. is the, this is yeah. the internet <laughs> uh, so yeah don't waste too much time on that but uh maybe choose your favorite uh swear word and do a search for it um or your favorite word of idiocy yes that's more likely that. yeah those uh, won't get moderated out right right uh, and see how many people are really uh, screaming and then just in- enjoy, grab some popcorn and, and have some fun. Yeah, amateur um, and embarrassed are my first two to search for. That'll yeah. always lead you down some good rabbit holes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, so uh, story number four, also from DP Review. You've been covering all the Fuji stuff. Uh, and they did something else that's quite interesting here. Um, 
for uh, people that have been listening to this podcast, we've talked about the uh, GFX 100 camera before. This is their 100 megapixel or thereabouts. I think it was 102 megapixel um, medium format-ish uh, camera. And I say ish because there's yep, multiple sizes yep, yep. of medium format and, and don't yell at me for calling it medium no, format. Fuji, Fuji says it's large format, Don. They okay. said it was large format is large format now. Well, large format is four by five, Jordan. Don't get me started. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually have a, an 11 by 14 large format camera in my studio that I'm still working to repair. I'm trying to find, uh, when I purchased it from somebody's basement, it had a five by seven reduction back on it. Nice. And I just think it would be so much fun to get this camera properly restored with a proper 11 by 14 back on it. Um, uh, Kodak still makes portrait film uh, in that format. You've got to do bulk orders of it, but you can still get like 11 inch by 14 inch sheets of film. I think it would just be a lot of fun to shoot a video of a bunch of able-bodied photographers carrying this hardwood and cast iron camera through like the forest to some beautiful waterfront scene to shoot some night sky or some sunset imagery. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be fun to see. Anyhow, next I, time in Toronto, me. I'll bring the pickup truck. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this story is, uh, about that GFX 100 camera. Fuji says new 400 megapixel pixel shift mode, uh, is coming to that particular camera. And I mean, it makes sense if the camera has in-body image stabilization, uh, that you can shift that sensor around and do that pixel shift high res mode that we are seeing much more commonplace right now, but wow, 400 megapixels, uh, it makes sense that in almost all of these cases, these high red high res modes quadruple the resolution of your camera. Yep. Uh, Four hundred megapixels, Jordan. Do, where do we draw the line? Yeah, I I mean, I used to work in a camera store that sold Hasselblad multi shot packs, which were exactly this. It was a hundred megapixel camera, and it took four images, shifted. Yeah, them but slightly. how expensive were they? Yeah, you were looking like fifty grand or so for that. So having this in a right. ten thousand dollar body, that's also not limited to multi shot shooting. Uh, yeah, I, it's they only ever sold for, to museums, you know, fine reproductions, things like that. I don't know of any photographers out. Uh, certainly not locally that we're using those out in the field or anything like that. So yeah, is it just a numbers game and it looks really impressive on a spec sheet. And I know we're going to see some great sample gallery pictures of people's cats and brick walls and things like that with this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the technology was always there. Why not make it available? And who knows, maybe somebody will capture something really spectacular with it and find a way to use that. I mean, I know you sometimes shoot very, you know, generally you're using the multi-shot on very static scenes and yep. you're getting 187 megapixels. I'm sure there's a bunch of times where you're like, oh, this is only half where I need to be. <laughs> well, I mean, at that point, it's often, I mean, my, my primary subject is macro photography. So you're limited by the laws of, uh, of physics and right. diffraction of course. Uh, at that point. So, you know, it, it would be hard to, to really resolve past a certain point. Although, I was trying uh, to shoot some uh, cross-polarized citric acid crystals recently, uh, which come up with these crazy, vibrant, beautiful colors, and uh, it's almost like abstract artwork. And uh, in 
after I'd done a number of them and I realized, you know, this is, this is really good. I, I decided to back off from my 10 times microscope objective, putting a five times on, uh, and then shooting with the high resolution mode in order to have a little bit more freedom in the, uh, um, uh, in the final composition. And it worked well, mm-hmm. but that would be the limit of it. I, if I, if I had 400 megapixels, I wouldn't have 400 megapixels worth of, of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, just cause the camera can capture it. And you know, we're seeing these 108 megapixel smartphone sensors and i'm going to stop covering those stories because that's just stupid as a Uh, listener thank you don (laughs) okay uh yeah there was one i could have talked about today we're not going to go there Mm -hmm. um so there are certain uses for this kind of resolution but at this point too we have to realize that a 400 megapixel image is going to be really hard to process um you know i was reading uh, adobe just did uh the february update for uh some of their creative suite stuff including lightroom and camera raw got an update with uh with some things and somewhere in there uh, i think it was because lightroom can now read psb files b as in bob for the uh i don't know why that stands for the large document format but it does and uh, in there, it stated that the maximum resolution that Lightroom uh, can handle is 512 uh, megapixels. You can't go any bigger than that. So, I mean, if you were a landscape photographer and you wanted to put together a panorama with this, you've hit the limitations of what most software can actually handle as a result of it. Um, it'll catch up, I'm sure. But that's just where we are right now. Yeah, I I don't think it's practical for a bunch of people, but uh, you know it's cool. And again, they're not charging you for it. They're not really. If they released a GFX 100 MS, then I would be like, this is why would you bother with that? But because you know it's a free software update, the sensor's already moving. It's capable of it. Why not? Good job, Fuji. This this sounds more like old Fuji, where they used to just throw things in. Like six people will use this, but we can do it. So why not? Well, I remember, uh, I think it was the episode that you actually recorded on the, uh, the X100, uh, or, or yeah, you were recording on one of the X100 cameras and you were talking about the, the, the new XT body. Um, and, uh, or you were mentioning something I'm paraphrasing here that they had this whole mantra of, of throwing in all of these updates and constantly organically evolving their products. And they didn't do any of that. Uh, they haven't they, for they, years, yeah. They, they haven't for years. And then they, they did before, and this was great. And so maybe we're just seeing them kind of creak that door open a little bit, and we'll see some more features coming to some of their other cameras. That would be great. Hopefully. As a f- owner of several Fuji cameras, man, I would love to see that come back. All right. Well, uh, 400 megapixels for $10,000. It is a first uh, without having to resort to like crazy gigapano stuff and and everything else. Um, So before we get to uh, picks of the week, um, Jordan, where can people find all of the videos that we've been talking about and find you online? Yeah, check it out at uh, youtube.com slash dpreview.com. That's where we'll have all of our DP Review TV episodes. As well, you can track me down on Twitter and Instagram. I'm uh, that Jordan Drake. Specifically that Jordan Drake, not the other Jordan Drake. Do not look up that account. It's a very common name. And ever since <laughs> Michael Jordan and the rapper Drake made a shoe together, I've become ungoogleable. So I am that <laughs> Jordan Drake. <laughs> All right. Um, so my my pick of the week uh, is something I actually don't have it in front of me because it's, uh, it's off holding a flashlight for some time-lapse stuff that I'm doing. Um, but I, I'd been a fan of the uh, uh, Manfrotto uh, B-free uh, tripods for quite some time. They're really compact. The way that they kind of fold up back on top of themselves to get really small, uh, I found quite useful. And uh, 
the one thing that I never liked about them is that the Manfrotto uh, quick release plate is kind of theirs exclusively and they're still keeping it going when almost everybody else has agreed that the Arca Swiss, uh, which isn't a standard, Arca Swiss is actually a company and I mm-hmm. my 4x5 camera is made by Arca Swiss, uh, but they, they came up with this idea and I guess just let everybody use it for free and that's why it caught on. I'm not sure if there's a licensing agreement, but everybody's using this format. It's a better um, system, yeah. It's a better system and there's multiple ways to lock it down too. Um, and so I was not using that B-Free tripod uh, very often unless I was specifically traveling and I was going to be gone for a few weeks and just, you know, begrudgingly put that quick release plate on the bottom of the camera, take off the Erica Swiss one and away I go. Um, but now uh, I can breathe new life into that because a company called um, Hedgenar Photo, Hedgenar, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, um, has produced for $70 US uh, a replacement top plate for that tripod that is designed in a way that still lets the tripod legs close up around it nice. um, so that it stays as compact, but it's Arca Swiss compatible. Um, and so this was uh, put on to me by, uh, by a fan and, and a listener of the show. So thank you very much for that. Uh, and I just looked around this website. He's got like focusing rails and camera plates and tons of really interesting stuff, hmm. uh, and including things like focusing rails uh, for macro photography. There's a whole selection of that stuff there as well. So um, I, the only thing that I've had from this company is that um, uh, Arcus was compatible top plate for the Be Free tripod but I like it. It's well-made and their other stuff seems pretty good too. So uh, check out these guys. I'd never heard of them before uh, and uh, I'm pretty impressed. How uh, how big a process was it to swap the heads over, Don? Oh, it's just uh, an Allen key. Perfect. Um, so just uh, 30 seconds worth of uh, effort. But did they ship you the Allen key? With they it? did. They nice. Did. All right. This is a quality company. I can get behind this. And what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week, uh, I'm not sure if you've gotten your hands on this yet, but I've learned to love it over quite a while, is the uh, Panasonic 24-70 lens, um, which really does feel like it was built from the ground up to make And this is for the L-mount, right? This is the L-mount, yeah. Um, so my big question when I was looking at uh, switching from using Micro Four Thirds to uh, jumping over to the S1H as my primary A-cam, I adore the, and I think it was my pick of the week actually before the uh, Panalika 10 to 25 millimeter f 1.7. Yep. Um, I said if their standard zoom can live up to that, then I'm very very interested. Uh, and I've been stress testing this 2470 for a long time, and it is a wonderful lens. It's very sharp. Um, the sun stars are great on it. Coatings are excellent. I've been shooting a lot backlit with it, and it's doing a good job. But the standout for me is this is a true hybrid lens. They put a mechanical focus clutch on it. And what's very surprising for a lens in this class is it's breathing corrected. So if I do focus pulls, you don't see the whole frame stretching. And that was part of what made me fall in love with the uh, panel like a 10 to 25 in the first place. Uh, so having that with all the advantages of full frame has been really, really nice. Uh, and uh, as much as I liked the extra wide angle on the 10 25 being capped at a 50 millimeter equivalent as a normal lens was a little restrictive. 70 is just a much more usable focal length. Yeah. And I'm willing, I didn't think I would be, but I'm willing to trade those four mils at the wide angle just to be able to get a more, a little bit of compression in the shot. Well, and you mentioned that there's not a lot of breathing, if anything, uh, worth noting uh, within the uh, the lens itself. Um, that's something that you usually have to pay a lot of money for a cinema yeah. class lens for. That's what they're designed around. Uh, so to have that cascade 
maybe not 100% completely, but to a much greater degree uh, is very, very useful. Also, if you're doing things like uh, focus stacking, a lot of cameras will have in-camera stacking capabilities, or even if you're just focus stacking by manually moving the lens, that focus breathing uh, would mean that the images would have to be realigned and they kind of stack inside of each other like Russian stacking dolls. And and your final image is only as big as the smallest one. Uh, and so that limits you in that case as well. So whenever I see a lens that has less of that breathing phenomenon, I'm very happy about it. And uh, what, what's the price point on that? Uh, I believe that guy's going for 23 Canadian. I'd have to double check that, see where we're at now. Right. I know there were some cheap. It's not a cheap. No, it's definitely all the standard zooms have been getting quite a bit more expensive lately. But uh, it is really nice in my case that I'm not grabbing a cine lens when I run out the door and a photo lens at the same time. Well, and I I think that this is kind of uh, proof positive that the new mirrorless uh, uh, form factors from Panasonic, uh, but also from Canon and Nikon, uh, they're getting more mature. And that could be because you're getting extra support from uh, third parties like Sigma, at least in the L mount as well. Um, And you're getting some of those niche products that are starting to come in and fill things out. I think that within this next year, if we have uh, a push forward for uh, you know really good high quality lens designs, but also hitting a couple of niches along the way, mm-hmm. uh, you know I don't know if it's going to be like a macro lens or a fisheye lens or whatever. Just get get a round footprint of of lenses that everybody with whatever curiosities they have can explore. Then that's going to get people to really focus on these new systems. And then uh, as soon as the next round of camera bodies come from everybody because it's going to happen eventually. Every camera on the market right now is going to be replaced with something better. So long as the company doesn't go bankrupt. Yeah. Sorry. Um, tax. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, I, have, have a thousand comments. <laughs> have, have, have you heard anything about, uh, about Rico and, and what they're doing? Yeah, there will be a uh, flagship APSC. Uh, Pentax branded camera coming, but uh, okay. So, so I'm holding out hope. Uh, it's but <laughs> man, it's been a tough slog. Yeah, well, and especially because it's going to be a flapping mirror camera, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's <laughs> when everybody, uh, you know, we're we're going to talk about the the Nikon D6 in, in next week's episode, uh, but everybody's kind of singing their swan song and releasing their last greatest uh, flapping mirror camera, and yeah. uh, so we'll we'll see that transition. But as soon as that next gen of mirrorless cameras come out, um, you'll have everybody that is still holding on to the DSLRs that they currently have say, you know what, my camera was maybe two generations old when the mirrorless stuff came out. Now it's three, possibly four, depending on what cameras you're looking at. Uh, let's make the switch. Yeah. And then you'll have this massive migration of people into this uh, platform. And hopefully, uh, at least it's my hope, that that kind of turns around the uh, the current trajectory of the industry where uh, people just aren't buying enough gear. Uh, you know, the, the, the sales have been slumping and that hurts us as photographers, because if the sales of the stuff that we want to buy are not there, the research and development into the new stuff that we also want to buy after that isn't going to be as strong either. Right. Yeah. Well, and I also think everyone has a favorite niche lens. You know, I bought into Canon for the 135 F2. Uh, Everybody has that one weird little lens that they love. And now we've finally got everybody's Trinity, so to speak 
pretty much fleshed out. So I'm hoping 2020 is the year of weird, fun, niche, interesting lenses. Uh, oh, and I'm, I know. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what comes out. Uh, tilt shift lenses, macro lenses, that Laowa 24 millimeter probe lens that there's nothing else quite like it. Yeah. Uh, give me weird stuff like that. Uh, I just want to play with it, or at least I want to see other people play with it uh, because that keeps the, the industry uh, creative. But that also, uh, it, it brings up uh, the company's Venus Optics and... Um, uh, 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 Yi Optics. Uh, those are the two manufacturers that make the Laowa series and the Metacon series uh, of lenses that uh, they've been doing some pretty innovative stuff as well that the big guys just haven't touched because, well, the market might not have been there based on their research and development. But if you're making a manual focus lens anyhow, that's purely mechanical, there's a lot of additional things you can get away with. So times are changing and I'm yeah. happy about it. Hoping for weird stuff. Hoping for weird stuff. <laughs> I hope 2020 is the year of the weird. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, you know, I, I actually used that uh, probe lens on a National Geographic shoot recently, um, and uh, it there was no other lens that could have gathered the footage that we had shot for for that particular sequence. Everything so, I see with that, I mean, we only figured out when we were testing it on the last day we had the lens. Oh, this is how you're supposed to use it because it wasn't <laughs> released yet. Uh, so now I really want to get that lens back and screw around with it a little bit more. Well, if you find yourself here in my studio, uh, you are more than welcome to play with it. I even got the one with the cinema gears on it, and I've got a follow focus that oh. I've never put the two together to, to play with. If that could ever happen one day, somehow, done. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to make that happen. We'll try awesome. to make that happen. But uh, in the meantime, you can find all of the stories that we talked about in the show notes at uh, photogeekweekly.com. I want to uh, thank everybody for listening. Uh, and it has been, it's been a blast. Thank you for being here again, Jordan. Always great to talk to you, and uh, we'll have you back on again soon. I'm sure. Until then, it's time to get out and shoot. 